we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Let's take a look at that from a biblical perspective, shall we? We find ourselves in John, Ephesians, and 1 Thessalonians, along with Philippians, for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Join us. thankful before Thanksgiving. Hi, and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is where we find ourselves today looking at peace versus anxiety. Other passages include John 14, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're celebrating Thanksgiving over the next couple of broadcasts. Stay with us. Here now is Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. You can turn over in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and I want to talk about thankfulness before Thanksgiving. You know, we always think of Thanksgiving as a time of thankfulness, but a lot of times we forget that we're not supposed to give thanks to the Lord just one day a year, obviously, when we get to stuff ourselves with turkey and all the trimmings. Uh, We're supposed to give thanks to our gracious God every day. It shouldn't be seasonal, but perpetual. I just want to read out of Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 down to verse 7. Kind of this will be our focus of our text. We'll also be jumping over to Psalm. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One thing we're, we're told in God's Word is that our thankfulness to the Lord should be never-ending. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Even in 1 Thessalonians, we know this verse, 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is what? The will of God for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we forget that in anything, in everything, that we should be thankful. And that means even in trials. That means even when anxious thoughts run through our minds. A lot of people travel when it comes around the holiday season. I heard an illustration of a family who was going to send their grandmother on her first plane flight across the country to visit her grandchildren. And she just wasn't really keen on the idea. She was in her 80s and never flown before in her life. And she wasn't really confident about the experience of leaving the ground on this contraption called a jet airliner. When they finally met her at the airport uh, on her return after she had two of these flights, uh, one of the family members was kind of joking around with her and and asked her, well, did the plane hold you up okay? (laughs) And she looked at him almost grudgingly and she replied, well, yes, but I didn't really put my full weight on it. (laughs) You know, a lot of Christians are like that grandmother, it seems. The truth is, that they're being sustained totally by God, right? In Christ, he's totally sustaining us completely. 
sufficiently. But it seems like we're afraid to put our full weight down on him. So we hold on to things. And as a result, we get plagued with things like worry or anxiety. We aren't able just to sit back in that chair, relax, and and enjoy the flight because we're worrying the whole flight. I think few of us are strangers to anxiety. We all are faced with anxiety every day almost. It creeps into our lives. It comes into our lives sometimes over big things and sometimes over little things. But it doesn't really matter whether it's a big thing or a little thing. It seems that anxiety, worry, is always gnawing at us on the inside. Someone said anxiety is like a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. And if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all others are drained. And today we kind of deal with anxiety and, and we just accept it. You know, we tell people, how you doing? Oh, I'm stressed out. You know, I'm having a panic attack. You know, it's just phrases we use. And I think that people today deal with anxiety in our society in not a good way. They use alcohol, they use drugs, they use uh, different vices to deal with their anxiety, to kind of help help them forget it. But when you stop and think about your anxiousness and what you're anxious over, it could be finances. Um, How are we going to meet our bills this month? What if the car that I'm driving, the aging car breaks down, what am I going to do? What if I lose my job in this economy? Uh, What if I can't find a job if I already don't have one? How am I going to put my kids through college? Will I ever be able to save enough for retirement? What if the economy just flat out fails big time. I mean, we've seen it fail some, but what if it just totally fails? So sometimes our finances play into that. Sometimes it's our health, uh, especially as we grow older. Sometimes I have the opportunity to to visit folks in in convalescent home type settings, and you look at some of these folks and your heart just breaks for them. You know, they've fallen victim to Alzheimer's or whatever it might be. What if I'm disabled and have to go into a nursing home? Or maybe you're, you're younger and that's not a worry, but maybe you're worrying about your parents. See, these are very real concerns that we have. Or maybe we're concerned about our own children. Are they going to turn out okay? Or maybe our grandchildren. What do they have to look forward to in this world? Will they avoid drugs? Will they avoid sexual immorality? Will they be safe in this crime-ridden world in which we live? Will they be able to get into college and get a decent-paying job when they get out? Will they finally marry that godly person and live in a happy Christian home? What kind of world will they have? I mean, the list goes on and on. We could sit here for an hour and talk about things that we could worry about. Maybe I caused you to worry just bringing up those things. I don't know. That's not my intent. But I wanted you to know that we all deal with worry, anxiety in a lot of different ways. And, and sometimes, you know what? We can't even really identify a specific reason for anxiety that we may have. I know the other day I was anxious. I came home from the church. My wife said something to me, kind of snapped at her and started calling. She goes, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just go back to bed and get back up and see? You know, and I said, you know, I don't know. But I was just anxious. And sometimes that's the case. And see, if we don't learn to deal with anxiety and worry properly, it can really cause all sorts of health problems, which in turn feed our anxiety. It's just a big circle, round and round. Now, to those who follow Christ, he told this to them in John 14, 27. Jesus promised, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the what? Not as the world gives. 
do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. See, he spoke those, those words of comfort, those words of peace, on the most difficult night he faced on the earth, the night before his crucifixion. Several times in the New Testament, our God is called either the God or the Lord of peace. And that peace can be a constant experience in the life of a Christian. Even in the midst of trials, even on those darkest, scariest nights, you don't know what's going to happen next. And in Philippians here, Paul tells us how, and I think it's simply this, to experience God's peace instead of anxiety or worry, we should always give thanks to the Lord because his loving kindness is everlasting. There are three key words here that I want to share kind of this morning. Being anxious, prayer, and also peace. Being anxious is something that we're told to put off. And that's the first point there. That we should put off anxiety. We should put off anxiousness. We should put off worry because it is sin. We're told to practice and and to really understand that we need to trust in God. It says there, be anxious, what? For nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Well, you don't know my situation. Well, God does. I may not. I may not be able to sympathize with you, but God can. God understands. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it clear that anxiety really stems from a lack of, listen, faith and a wrong focus on the things of this world instead of on the kingdom of God. He points that out in Matthew chapter 6. I mean, sometimes, you know, we use excuses for our anxiety. We say things like, well, it's only human. You know, anybody would feel anxious in this situation. And though that may be true, you're never going to overcome your anxiousness, your worry, if you're going to make excuses for it and not confront it. And namely, the root cause of it is our sin of not believing God and of not seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Our Christian witness to a lost world is one of Paul's main themes here in Philippians. It's a book of joy. He wants Christians to have God's joy in every situation, not just when they're happy, not just when everything's going well, but so they can be an effective witness of Jesus Christ even during the hard times, even during the trials. In other words, we're to be seeking first God's kingdom, not our own happiness. See, we have far too many people today in Christianity looking to Jesus to make them happy. You know, we sang a song this morning, He has made me glad. I'm glad it didn't say He made me happy. I mean, the scripture says that our relationship with the Lord should make us glad, should give us that deep-seated joy. It's not just a happiness that comes and goes with happenstance, with circumstance. Our focus shouldn't be on our circumstances. Our focus should be on our, our relationship with God. So for the sake of our own testimony, it's imperative that we learn to experience the peace of God, especially when we go through hardships, when we go through trials. This means that when it comes to, to the matter of dealing with our own anxiety, our own worry, we must, at the outset, confront our motives for wanting to have peace. You have to wonder, why do I want this peace? If our reason for wanting to be free from anxiety is so that we can simply live a peaceful, pleasant life, that's the wrong focus. That's a focus on ourself. That's self-centered. We're never told throughout Scripture to be self-focused or self-centered. There are many people who come to Christ because they are anxious and they want the peace that he offers. But they never confront their own sinfulness. 
See, they have to confront the fact that they are living to please themselves rather than God. And if they do that, they'll simply settle into a self-centered life where they simply use God for their own peace and their comfort. Jesus didn't die, some say, to, to pay for our sins. He just died to meet our needs. So if you want your needs met, you need to come to Jesus because he'll, he'll make your, your life happy, healthy. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake shall save it. See, that doesn't make rational sense in our, our minds. But the peace Christ offers is a byproduct of allowing Christ as Lord in our lives and living for his kingdom, not our own. You remember the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And it talks about that seed which fell among what? Thorns. And it really represents those people who have heard the gospel. They've heard it time and time again. And as they go on their way, it says they're choked with what? With the worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And you know what? As a result of that, they bear no fruit to maturity. That word worries there in that text in Luke chapter 8 is a noun and it's related to the Greek verb to be anxious. The scary thing about what Jesus' words is simply this, as I understand the parable, only one of these groups is truly saved of the groups he talks about in the parable. Namely, those who bring forth fruit with perseverance. There's those who profess to believe, but then they get choked out by their worries, by riches, by pleasures. They've never taken themselves off the throne of their life and put Jesus there. They seek their own desires, not the desires for his kingdom. And they're deceived into thinking that they're they're believers, that they're Christians. But the truth is they're just living with the same focus the world has, namely for personal pleasure and peace. And so when we come to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it means that, you know, it's not a simple little joke here that, you know, you, you kind of think of this as a formula. Oh, if you're anxious, try prayer. It works. You know, you've heard people try, say that. It's like a bumper sticker kind of mentality. It doesn't really mean that. What it means is if you're anxious, you know what? Do something else. Examine your lack of faith in the living God who has promised to supply the basic needs of his children. That's what God has promised us in his word. So if you're anxious, you're really not trusting God in that area. There's a lack of faith. And if it's not a lack of faith, maybe it's a a lack of focus. Maybe you need to examine your focus, whether you're living for Christ and his kingdom, or maybe you're living for yourself. See, whatever the root cause here, anxiety or worry is a sin. It's, It's indicating a lack of trust in God, and it must be confessed and put off. Now, before we move on here, Paul isn't encouraging kind of a, careless, carefree, uh, irresponsible attitude toward people or problems. He's not saying, you know, just you know, sit back in the armchairs of grace and do nothing. No, he's not saying that. Matter of fact, there's a lot of times when Christians are very anxious people and they, 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 they go from being anxious and they swing and their, their anxiety turns into apathy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this, this guy that's all, you know... Uh, kind of wound really tight and always anxious, all of a sudden you see them and it's like they don't even care anymore. You can tell by the way they dress, by the way they keep themselves, they don't care. And so they go from being anxious about all their problems to, you know what, I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to trust God. That's not what Paul's calling here. That's not what Paul's saying. 
We should care deeply about people. We should care deeply about problems. And we should work hard to resolve them. As members of the body here in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12.25 says that we're to have mutual concern, not anxiety, but concern one for another. Even in 2 Corinthians 11.28, Paul mentions the concern that he bears daily for all the churches. Or Philippians 2.20, he tells the Philippians that Timothy is genuinely concerned for their welfare. See, in each one of those verses, the word concern is really from the same kind of word we get anxiousness. But it's not a sinful anxiety, but a proper concern. And you say, well, how do you know the difference? See, it's, it's proper to be concerned about the future welfare to the extent that we take responsibility to plan to save for the future needs. Proverbs chapter 6 talks about that, verses 6 to 11. But proper concern turns into what we would call anxiety, sinful anxiety, when we lack faith in God's role as our sovereign Lord and provider. And when we get to that point, we begin to put this, the, the focus on ourselves instead of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. So the first step here in dealing with anxiety is to examine whether it's due to a lack of faith or a wrong focus on yourself. Either way, you have to confess both as sin and yield back to God. That's what we're called to do. And the second point kind of gets to the the root of the message here, we must practice prayer with thanksgiving about every concern. Uh, Paul mentions four different Greek words here for prayer. And they kind of almost overlap, you might say. And yet, it's important that we distinguish these. He talks, first of all, the word prayer there. It's a general word for prayer. Uh, always used with reference to God, with the nuance of, of reverence. It's not talking to God as the man upstairs or whatever. No, it's, it's having reverence before a holy God. When Paul says to make our request known to God, the Greek word means face-to-face with God, to come directly before him. This means when we pray, we must stop to remember that we're coming into the very presence of the holy God that saved us, where even holy angels cover their faces and they cry out, Isaiah 6, 3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And yet he welcomes us genuinely into his presence as a father welcomes his children. See, through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, God invites us to draw near, Hebrews four sixteen tells us, to draw near with confidence. Not to be cowering in fear, but to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so many times as Christians, rather than go to God in time of need, what do we do? We just wring our hands and we worry. And the Bible says, no, don't do that. That's not going to do any good. Go to the God who cares for you. But we must remember that it is to the throne of the universe, to the sovereign, eternal God that we come. We don't come to a divine Santa Claus. That's not the idea. This means, of course, that we must always examine our hearts. We have to confess our sin, forsake all sin when we come to God in prayer. 1 John 1, 7 says that we, in, in verse 9 also, that if we confess our sins, that the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, is sufficient to cleanse our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're, we're told to come directly to God in prayer because Christ is our mediator. He's our high priest. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, indicates and tells us that the Holy Spirit, who dwells in every believer, prompts and he moves us as we pray. He intercedes for us. Because sometimes maybe we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so prayer is a personal drawing near to the triune God. I came out of a church that when I prayed, I would pray to God. I'd also pray to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'd pray to saints. Sometimes they're just memorized prayers that you can rattle off. I can still rattle them off. We don't need to go through a human priest today. We don't need to pray to Mary. We don't need to pray to saints. As believers, we are all priests before God. That's what the Bible says. We're able to draw directly near to him in effectual prayer. Well, the second word he uses there is not just prayer, but he says supplications. And that word gives kind of a prominence to the sense of need. Also looks at specific requests. Some people may ask, you know what? Why pray since God already knows what we need? John Calvin said this on prayer. He points out that whatever we need and lack is to be found in God and in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the Father willed all the fullness of his bounty to abide. He went on to say, it's through prayer that we reach those riches which are laid up for us with the Heavenly Father. See, prayer is not so much for God's sake, it's for our sake. It shows and it indicates a total need for God in our lives. It's not just a a, a need for temporal benefits. We don't just go to God or we shouldn't just go to God when we need stuff. Oh God, get me out of this jam. Oh God, help me with this. Help me pay the rent. Help me do that. That's what I meant by a divine Santa Claus. That's not how we look at God. God wants communication with us. He wants communion with us. And when we can come to him and we cast our dependence on him so that we will seek love and serve him while we become accustomed to every need, we just flee to him. We know that he's there. It purifies our desires when we pray since we must bring them to God himself. It prepares us to receive, thankfully, what he gives us, being reminded that it comes from his hand. It helps us meditate on his kindness as we delight in what he's given us. It confirms our own weakness and it, it, it gives us uh, God's great providence and faithfulness when he meets our needs. See, and what that means is our supplications, our requests, must be in line with God's will and purpose. See, so many times Christians today say, oh, you just got to pray in Jesus' name. If you just pray in Jesus' name, then it comes true. <laughs> it's like a little formula or something. That's not what praying in Jesus' name means. You don't just tag it on the end of your prayer or the prayer's not complete. It's not just something you say at the end of the prayer when you're in a prayer meeting so the other person knows you're done. I mean, that's how I think some people view it. I used this illustration before, but I was actually at our school. Eddie, Eddie went to the school I went to, and I was a brand new Christian, came out of a Catholic background, and we had, it was in the summertime, there wasn't a whole lot of guys there, but they still had RAs lead devotions once a week. And uh, we were down in the, the uh, kind of the, uh, area there, the lounge area, and we're sitting in this circle, and, and I was brand new to this, and, and the guy next to me was the RA, and he said, okay, well, let's just, uh, you know, we'll have a Bible study. They did a little Bible study, and they said, well, let's have a time of prayer, and we'll just kind of work our way around the circle, and, and so I was next to him, and he goes, we'll just go this way, and so I'm like, okay, you know, you know, he started off the prayer, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm praying in my heart. I didn't pray out loud. I felt kind of intimidated, the guy next to me wasn't going to pray until I prayed. 
Because in their mind, you know, you just had to pray out loud. And I'm thinking, I'm praying, and I, I just didn't understand how this thing worked. And finally, the RA kind of nudges me. Steve, are you going to pray? Are you going to pray? I'm already done. I already prayed. I don't know what's going on, you know. Oh, oh, well, no, we pray out loud. It took me a little while to get used to that. See, so many times we have this mindset when it comes to prayer that things have to be done in a certain way. Or, or when we come to a prayer meeting and, and we spend, you know, the prayer meetings maybe an hour long and, and we spend 45 minutes telling everybody what our requests are. Kind of a waste of time. Let's just go to God and tell Him. He already knows Him anyway, but we're instructed to bring Him before Him. And so supplications need to be in line with God's will and His purpose. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.